So uh, last week we kicked off a brand new series called This Is Living. And here's the whole idea behind the whole series is, hey, we want you and, and I want myself to be able to step into our best life. That's what this series is about, living your best life. And not even just living your best life, but living your best life now, stepping into your best life now, being able during these years in college or these college age years, um, these very unique years of your life, being able to step into and live in your best life, your most full life now. And, and, and I don't really know like where you are on the faith spectrum. I don't really know what you believe about Jesus. You might not believe anything about Jesus and that's totally fine, right? But here's the one thing that all of us can agree on, which is why I love this series is no matter where you are on the faith spectrum, no matter what you believe about Jesus, here's what I know is true, is that you too want to step into your best life. So the one thing that puts us all on the same page is that we would love to say, yeah, I'm living my best life now. I'm being my best self now. I'm living my most full life now. And to kind of look at the, the question or to maybe to answer the question what that looks like, um, we're going to be walking through uh, the book of Philippians. It's, it's a New Testament letter um, that the Apostle Paul wrote that's found kind of in the second half of your New Testament. And we're kind of walking through almost the entire letter. And the reason why we wanted to do that is because if anybody understood, if anybody understood what it really meant to live, if anybody really understood what it, what it meant to have life to the full, it was the Apostle Paul. And part of the reason why I say that, and, and we got into some of the details of this last week, so if you missed it, you can go um, check out on our podcast uh, and, and catch up. But Paul wrote Philippians, it was a letter, um, and he wrote it while he was in prison. And the reason why he's in jail is because he's been sharing his faith, he's sharing the gospel, and he's so good at it that it's kind of like creating a stir with the government, the Romans are freaking out, so they put him in prison. And so Paul is in prison, he's in chains for his faith. Yet he writes this letter about joy, and he writes this letter about purpose, and he writes this letter about hope, and he writes this letter about being able to find joy and peace and purpose in whatever circumstance you find yourself in. And the reason why Paul understood this idea, the reason why we believe, and I believe, that Paul was able to live his best life even though his circumstances were not favorable was because he had his mind set on the right thing or the right one. In fact, we kind of said this last week, that your best life isn't connected to the external, but to the eternal. That your best life, in my best life, isn't connected to the external, isn't connected to the circumstances, it's connected to the eternal. And maybe, and we just said this last week, we said, okay, maybe you're not there like, to believe that yet, but we just said, why don't you just at least ask the question? Like, what if, what if, what if? What if my best life? What if your best life wasn't connected to the external? What if your best life wasn't connected to that job that you hope to get one day? It wasn't connected to that relationship that you are in right now or hope to be in. It wasn't connected to a salary that you hope to have one day or it wasn't connected to a bunch of stuff that you might not have one day or maybe you hope to have one day. What if it wasn't connected to any of that? And what if your best life, what if, what if, what if? It was connected to the eternal, to someone eternal, to Jesus. Because that's what it was for Paul. For Paul, he could find joy and he could find purpose and he could find hope and he could find fulfillment even though he's sitting in a jail cell. Why? Because his mind was set on the eternal. His mind was set on Jesus. That for the apostle Paul, the fact that Jesus died and rose from the grave gave everything a completely brand new perspective. And for the apostle Paul, it changed everything. 
which is why he could write a letter to his friends in Philippi, the church in Philippi, to encourage them that in whatever circumstances they face, that they can have joy, they can have peace, and they can have hope, and they can have purpose, and they can have fulfillment. And in fact, it was the very thing that led the Apostle Paul to write this at the very end of chapter one. And this is where we ended last week and where we're gonna kind of pick off today, pick up today. He said, whatever happens, like whatever happens, whatever you're doing, whatever you're after, whatever circumstance you find yourself in, whatever your life looks like, whatever happens, he says, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Live your life in a way, make decisions in a way that reflects the gospel of Christ. Or, or live your life in harmony. Live your life in harmony with the message of Jesus. And so today, um, where we're going to kind of pick off is this verse here kind of flows into the, um, into the next chapter of Philippians. Paul didn't write in chapters, right? It's just kind of like his next section of the letter. We've broken it up into chapters. And it flows into chapter Two. And in chapter two, what we're going to find um, is the Apostle Paul is going to give us a little bit of insight into what it looks like, um, very specifically even, to live and, and to conduct ourselves in a manner that is worthy of the gospel. He gives us a really clear picture of what it might look like to live a life that is in harmony with the message of Jesus. And he points out an issue that all of us have. He points out an issue that the people in the church in Philippi struggled with, and he points out an issue that all of us struggled with. In fact, the issue that he points out, and he gives us a solution for, but the issue that he points out, I believe, might be the thing that stands in the most stark contrast to actually living a life in harmony of the message of Jesus. And so what chapter two of Philippians talks about and what we're gonna kind of unpack um, for a few minutes tonight is this idea, this is what we're gonna be talking about. We're gonna be talking about selfishness. Selfishness. Um, your selfishness and my selfishness. See, um, here's what's so interesting about selfishness is you don't have to try to be selfish, right? Like, like you don't have to, it, it's not something that you have to, to practice. It just comes naturally to you and to me, like we're really good at being selfish. I am extremely good. I might be better than 90% of you in the room at being selfish. It's amazing how good I am at being selfish. Hang on, I think I know why my mic is doing that because this fan is on. We're just gonna have this moment here. That needs to be off. Ooh, that was bothering me. Okay, thank you. Um, is we don't have to practice being selfish. Like it just comes naturally. In fact, you, you've been doing it since you were a kid. Right? It's the only thing you've been doing since you were a kid, hopefully. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like the only thing you've been doing since you were a child is continuing to be selfish. It just happens naturally. It's kind of hardwired into who you and I are. If you have any siblings, you've probably seen how selfish that you can be, right? If you have roommates, hello, you know, you share a kitchen, you share a bathroom. God forbid you share bunk beds, you know? You definitely know how selfish that you could be. If you are in a relationship, yeah. Some of y'all are like, man, I'd love to know how selfish I am. I just want to be in one, you know? Like. <laughs> but, but if you're in a relationship, then you've definitely seen how selfish that you can be. And if you've been dating somebody and you haven't seen their selfish side or they haven't seen your selfish side, it's only because you've been on a couple dates and you're still in like the, I'm gonna show you my best side phase, you know? Wait till date five or six, you know what I'm saying? It's gonna hit the fan, okay? Um, because self, we, don't, we don't have to try to be selfish. It's just natural, 
right? It just happens. And, and, and here's what's true, right? Come on, you know this. We've all experienced the ugliness of our own selfishness. It doesn't take convincing for me to, it, to, to convince you that it's ugly. We've all experienced selfishness kind of like come up out of nowhere, right? It just kind of is always lingering in the darkness. It's always something that's there. And then it just kind of decides to rear its ugly head, sometimes seemingly out of nowhere. But selfishness is that, is selfishness, it's that thing that leads to drama. Uh, it, it's that thing that leads um, to, to, to discord and to disharmony in some of your relationships. Selfishness is the thing that leads to fights, into arguments. Um, selfishness um, is that thing that leads you to ignore the needs of others. Selfishness is that thing in me that causes me to care about myself more than I care about somebody else. Um, selfishness, selfishness is the thing that causes you and me to go after whatever we want, whenever we want, no matter what it costs somebody else. And so it's that selfishness that the Apostle Paul talks about in Philippians chapter two, and it's that selfishness that I want us to talk about together for just a couple of minutes tonight. Because that kind of selfishness, right, that kind of selfishness creates disharmony between us and other people. In fact, if that selfishness is a part of, a part of our life, it's going to be really, really difficult for us to have meaningful relationships and live in harmony with other people. In fact, and, and not in fact, but, and, and here's kind of the second part of that, is that we can't live in harmony with the message of Jesus. Like we can't live out Philippians 1.27. We can't live in harmony with the message of Jesus if we aren't living in harmony with other people. So then I would argue that selfishness would be the thing that would get in the way of us living in harmony with the message of Jesus. And so if there's any part of you that wants to live in harmony with the message of Jesus, we've got to figure out the selfishness part. And, and, and maybe you're not interested in living in harmony with the message of Jesus because you're not even sure if you believe in him, but you know too that, that selfishness isn't any good in your life. I mean, come on, my worst side is my selfish side. Like there is nothing good about my selfishness. Nothing good in my life is a result of my selfishness. I don't wear selfishness very good and neither do any of you. That your best life is never a result of a selfish life. And you know this. That, that a fulfilling life is never the result of a selfish life. In fact, if anything, it leaves you feeling regretful. It leaves you feeling isolated. It leaves you feeling you wish you had handled things differently. And so whether it's because you want to live in a manner worthy of the gospel or you're just tired of selfishness ruining your influence and your relationships and the way that you date and some of the fulfillment that you feel like is missing out of your life, I think what the Apostle Paul has to say about selfishness might be helpful. And, and, and we we're fairly confident that the Apostle Paul wrote about selfishness um, because I kind of talked a little bit about this last week. Um, but from the church in, in Philippi, this guy named Epaphroditus, what a name, um, they think he might have been the pastor at the church in Philippi. When they found out that Paul was imprisoned, Epaphroditus came over to check on Paul, to bring him a gift, to make sure that he was doing okay. And then when Epaphroditus went back to Philippi, Paul had written a letter and he gave it to Epaphroditus and Epaphroditus took it to the church. So that's how we got this letter. How cool, how cool is that? But I would imagine um, that him and Epaphroditus were probably having some conversation about what's going on back home in Philippi. And Epaphroditus probably filled Paul in on, hey, there's some kind of difficulty going on, right? There's some disharmony going on. There's a lot of people just trying to out to get theirs, you know? And so, and so Paul probably heard all that. And so he wanted to write this letter to his friends to say, hey, I'm telling you um, that there's way more fulfillment 
on the other side of this selfishness. So this is what he writes to the Philippians and what he says to you and me. He says, do nothing, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Do nothing, that's very wide net, do nothing. I want you to think about, think about the kind of roommate you are. Do nothing, he says. I want you, I want you to think about um, how you date. I want you to think your mo- I want you to think about your motives and your intentions when you ask somebody out on a date or take somebody out on a date. I want you to think about what you are like when somebody works with you on a group project. I want you to think about why you post certain things on social media. I want you to think about why you respond to your roommates in a particular way when you start talking about particular situations, right? I mean, he says, do nothing, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Now, selfish ambition, right? Ambition isn't wrong. Ambition is great. We should all be ambitious. But selfish ambition is when we are climbing, when we are succeeding, when we are winning at the expense of somebody else. And then vain conceit, this literally translates to mean empty glory, empty glory. The idea is that whenever we set ourselves up to, to kind of glorify ourselves in an empty way because we've done so at the expense of somebody else. We've lifted ourselves up. We've made ourselves, um, we've brought notoriety to ourselves at the expense of somebody else. We've devalued and demeaned somebody else. And so the Apostle Paul is essentially saying, hey, do none of that. And if I could kind of translate it, I think here's what the Apostle Paul is saying. Don't perpetuate win-lose transactions with people. Don't perpetuate win-lose transactions with people. Here's what I mean by win-lose transactions. A win-lose transaction is when I decide to make a decision, when I do something, and the result is I win and you lose. A win-lose transaction is when in a relationship or with a friendship or with a person where I decide to do something that benefits me and it actually hurts you. A win-lose transaction is when I do something that helps my interests but actually hurts your interests, right? I want you to kind of think about a ladder here for just a second, and I'm not the handiest person ever, so let's hope that this goes well. I'm going to have to learn now that I've bought a house that isn't like a fixer-upper, but it's not not a a fixer-upper, you know what I mean? So I'm going to have to semi get my Joanna Gaines on a little bit, Um, but I want you to think about a ladder, right? And, and, and as you take a step on every rung of the ladder, you're creating separation from what is behind you. And so a win-lose transaction is when we make a decision that elevates us at the expense of somebody else, that, that, that helps us succeed at the expense of somebody else, right? Let me give you a couple of examples, right? A win-lose transactions might be you um, feeling better about yourself um, by pointing out the faults of somebody else. By making clear the faults of somebody else, you've felt better, you've elevated yourself. That's a win-lose transaction. Maybe um, it's you leading somebody on just because it makes you feel good to have somebody around. Well, that's a win-lose transaction. Maybe you don't pull your weight on a group project because you're gonna take advantage of the person that's too nice to say no. And so that's a win-lose transaction. Um, maybe for you, if we could just get real and honest, maybe it's you trying to have sex with somebody or get physical with somebody, and the way that you do that is by manipulating them. That is a win-lose transaction. You've elevated yourself. You've put your needs and your interests well beyond anybody else's. 
Maybe this is kind of, this might sound like a funny one, but maybe your parents help pay for school and they give you money every single month to pay for certain things, but you are using it on other things. And so they actually have to give you more money and you're not being honest about where that other money is going, right? Selfish ambition, that is a win-lose transaction. And maybe just one more, right? Like you've got a roommate, maybe they've got a big test the next day, they've got a lot going on the next day and you've got people over and you don't really care how loud you are. You're ignoring the fact that your roommate's got a lot going on the next day and you don't really care if it's going to keep them up. That is a win-lose transaction. And that's as far as I go. <laughs> when we elevate ourselves at the expense of somebody else, when we climb and when we succeed and when we benefit at the expense of somebody else, it's the apostle Paul is saying, hey, you need to eliminate win-lose transactions from your life. Because isn't it so true? Come on, you know this. It might be win-lose in the short run, but it's always a lose-lose in the wrong, long run. It might be win-lose immediately, but it's always going to be lose-lose eventually. So instead, Paul says... Rather, the alternative, the better way, he says, rather, in humility, value others above yourself, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interest of the others. In the words of the famous poet, Kendrick Lamar, sit down, be humble, right? Look at that, he calls Pastor being all relevant, huh? I should be proud of me. It's getting harder and harder to stay relevant these days. But seriously, so we got verses three and four here. And in verse three, what he does um, is he tells us how we should view other people. And in verse four, he tells us as a result, how we should relate to other people. So how we should view other people and humility value others above ourselves. That how we should view others is that we should view them, watch this, as more worthy of consideration than ourselves. That we should value them, we should view them as worthy of more consideration than ourselves. Now, this doesn't mean you need to have low self-esteem. This point is about making the needs and the interests of others paramount. You might have heard this, I heard this many years ago, I'm not even sure who said it, right? But humility, right? Humility isn't thinking less of yourself, it's thinking of yourself less. It's not thinking less of yourself, low self-esteem. It's simply thinking of yourself less. Considering others more, the way that you view them. And then how do we relate to them? Verse four, he says this. He says, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the other. That how do we relate to them? Well, we need to put their interests before our own. That before we act and before we make a decision, we would stop and ask the question, okay, Am I asking what's in it for me or am I paying attention to what is in it for them? And I love this, right? Because this, this definition of humility is a little bit different than what we think about. When we think about humility, we think like, okay, like don't do a humble brag, you know? Like an appointed to Jesus when I scored a touchdown at a mural, right? Living my glory days, flag football, but I'm still T-bowing, you know what I'm saying? Like we think humility is like, you know, just... Not, not being loud about our talents and our gifts and like, oh, no, man, I'm, I'm not really good at that. Thanks. Say it again, though. Appreciate it. You know, like Paul gives us a completely different definition of humility here. He says, man, it's way bigger than that. He says humility is valuing somebody more than you value yourself, considering the needs of other people even before you consider your own needs, making the needs of other people more of a priority in your life than your own 
needs. And come on, in a world full of selfishness and in a world full of self-preservation and self-promotion, is there anything more refreshing than a humble person who cares about the needs of somebody else? And come on, don't you just love humble people? I love spending time with humble people. Like, I love seeing humility in other people, right? Like, humble people are usually helpful people, you know? Humble people um, are usually happier people. Like, humble people are usually trustworthy people. Like, I love humility looks so good in other people. In fact, it's compelling. Like, I'm drawn to humble people. Humility is compelling. It's why, and if you were in our, with us during our Notorious series, I know like we talked about Drake's song, God's Plan, and I said like, oh, you're so Christian. I knew it was a Drake song, okay? I was, felt pressure, I was on stage. Like, just get off me for just a second, okay? But I say that to say, um, it's why that, that, that video that Drake made with God's Plan is all over the internet. Why? Because people are drawn to us helping and, and, and meeting the needs of other people. I mean, come on, he walked around Miami and he gave away a, almost a million dollars. It was unbelievable. Like there are people that don't like Drake's music and they're gonna watch and love that video. They do think God's plan is a worship song, okay? But they're going to watch that video. Why? Because it is compelling to see humility, true humility, putting the needs of others before our own in action. Humility. It's compelling, and humility looks good on everybody, right? Now look, I, I try to be fashion forward, but there are certain things that I can't pull off. Like there are certain things I can't, that doesn't look good on me. Like I, I couldn't do it, right? One of them being Justin Timberlake's outfit during the halftime show. Like I couldn't pull that off, whatever the outfit was, I couldn't do it. Those J's though <laughs> were on another level, you know what I'm saying? Pastor Appreciation Month is coming up. Hook your boy up, that'd be awesome, okay? There are some things that I'll go try on and my wife's like, who do you think you are? And I'm like, nobody, you know? Like, you know, it's like, like there are some things that I just can't pull off. Doesn't look good on me. And I'm, I'm kind of short, losing my hair. Like there's just some things that I can't do. And I'm, you know what, it's fine. I'm married and I bought a house, leave me alone, okay? But you know what looks good on everybody? Humility. Humility looks good on Every single one of you, humility looks good on me. Humility looks good on everybody. It's compelling. Like we're drawn to people who are humble. And I think it's true for a couple of reasons. I think one, um, isn't it true? Humble people rarely talk about themselves and they're actually interested in what you have to say. Like a humble person is actually listening rather than using your time to talk as merely a way to think about what they are going to say next. You know what I mean? Like they're genuinely interested in what you have to say. They're genuinely interested in your life. Like you feel like you are an important person when you are talking to a humble person. And a humble person, right, um, not only do they not talk about themselves, but like they're not a one-upper. Like they let you have your moment. You know what a one-upper is? My goodness, I, I can't stand one-uppers. One-uppers are like the people where you say something and they have to one-up what you said, you know? Like they don't let you have the glory for what you said, you know? It's like, oh yeah, man, I was at Disney and like we got all these flash passes for free. And it's like, oh yeah, well my uncle's Walt Disney, what up? And it's like, I hate you, you know? Like I don't care about your uncle. You know, like I, I can't, I hate one-uppers, right? Uh, a humble person isn't a one-upper. A humble person isn't concerned about trying to one-up you. They're trying to listen to you. Humble people are also willing to walk to the other side. Like they're curious. 
Like they're willing to walk to the other side and see a different perspective. They're willing to walk to the other side um, to see what it's like to be in somebody else's shoes. Like a humble person is usually really good at showing empathy. And I don't want to get into, into all this right now. I could, I'll get on a soapbox. But could, I mean, come on, look at our world, look at our country, look at what's on the news, look at what's happening with all of the leaders around the world. I mean, could it not be just the most amazing thing ever if people just decided to be humble enough to to walk on the other side to see what it's like to be in that person's shoes and not just make assumptions about what they think is actually happening in that person's life? I mean, come on. But a humble person, a humble person doesn't assume they know. A humble person doesn't make judgments. They say, you know what, I'm gonna be curious. I'm gonna ask questions and I'm going to walk across and I'm gonna see with empathy the best that I can what it's like to be in your shoes. Or drawn to them and then just one more, a humble person, um, they're so good at serving others. Like they literally look for opportunities to meet the needs of others. Like us normal people, AKA me, just wait till someone asks. And then like, I might help. I might pretend like I didn't read the text. Like, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry, I missed it. Like, oh my God, you're moving, what? You know, like, I didn't see it. Airplane mode, what? You know, like, but a humble people actually looks for opportunities to, to serve others. Like they seek out opportunities to have a, like a humble person will help you move, you know? They're so good at serving others. That's why we're drawn to them. In fact, if I could just kind of sum it up, I would say this way, that valuing others makes you more valuable to others. It's so true. God, if y'all would just get this, I'm telling you. Valuing other people Putting their interests before your own, valuing other people actually makes you more valuable to others. This principle right here will transform your friendships. This principle right here will transform the kind of roommate you are. It'll transform the way that you date. It'll transform what kind of boyfriend and girlfriend you are. It'll transform the way that you interact with strangers. Because valuing others actually makes you more valuable to others. You want to talk about stepping into your best life? And valuing others makes you more valuable to others. But if you're like me, right, it, it's a great thing to think about, and humility is awesome, and I'm drawn to it in other people, but if you are like me, it's always going to be a struggle. Um, if you're like me, just kind of white-knuckling it and just trying to convince myself to be humble um, just isn't going to cut it. If you're like me, just trying to convince yourself every day that you're going to be humble, that you're gonna value other people, just hoping that it's going to happen, is actually going to, you're gonna end up falling short if you're like me. And I think the Apostle Paul understood that, which is why um, the way that he kind of closes out this passage is he gives you and I an example that would actually empower our humility. He gives us maybe the purest example of humility this world has ever seen. And this is what he says in Philippians chapter two, verse five. He says, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, right? That you should have the same mindset, you should think the same way that when we view other people, you should have the same mindset as Jesus. He says, who? talking about Jesus, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. You're about to get like a theology lesson on Jesus really, really quickly. That Jesus, okay, he walked here on earth, but he was fully God. 
that, that Jesus was fully man, but he was fully God, that he was equal with God the Father, that he had all the power that God the Father would have. And when Jesus walked on this earth, he was 100% God. And he could have demanded every person that he, that he met to bow at his feet and worship him. Why? Because he was God. That Jesus, in any situation he found himself in, he could just snap his fingers and play the God card. He could get himself out of any situation because he was God. He could do whatever he wanted. He had all the powers that be at his fingertips. But Paul tells us here that he did not use that to his own advantage. He didn't use the fact that he was 100% God to his own advantage. No, in fact, rather, Paul goes on to say, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness. That he literally left heaven and he came down and he took the form of a human. I had a seminary professor say that for God to come in the form of human flesh um, is, is even more condescending than a human taking the form of a rat. Like imagine you take on the form of a rat and you're limited to all that the rat is and does. It's even more condescending for, a, for God to take on the form of a human. And, and he made himself nothing, meaning he set aside. He was still fully God, let me be very clear. But he set aside, he set aside all the things that he could have done as God. Instead of using that to his own advantage, he decided to walk and serve humanity. To what degree? It goes on, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. That he had all the power to free himself from the cross, all the power to free himself from his captors, all the power to, to stop the fact that he was getting beaten before he was to be crucified, but he didn't do any of that. In fact, instead he served. He took on the form of a servant and became obedient to death. A death, by the way, that he did not deserve. A death, remember the definition of humility valuing others before yourself, that the death of Jesus was one that he did not deserve, but he died the death for you and for me. So humility, he died that death on the cross because he was putting your interests and my interests before his own. He was valuing you and valuing me more than himself, and so he humbled himself and he became obedient to a death he did not deserve, even death on a cross. And then the Apostle Paul goes on, he says, therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That Jesus was up there, and he came down here, and he did not leverage the advantage that he was God to keep him and change his circumstances. He used and leveraged the fact that he was God to die for the sins of the world. He served obediently. And as a result, therefore, the fact that he did, God ultimately exalted him to the highest place. Jesus teaches it all the time in the New Testament. Right? That in the kingdom of heaven, the, the first will be last and the last will be first. At one point, the disciples 
they're arguing about who's going to be the greatest. And Jesus looks at them and he says, hey, if you want to be great, then you have to serve. If you want to be great, then you've got to serve. If you want to be great, if you want your best life, then you've got to put the needs of others before your own. Jesus, if I could just kind of sum it up, exemplifies true humility and empowers our humility. He exemplifies perfect humility, true humility, pure humility, and he empowers my humility and your humility. Students, you wanna know how you can be more humble? Do you wanna know how you can walk in humility, valuing others more than yourself? It's not about just trying to convince yourself to do it every single day. It's changing your perspective and your mindset because when you have a proper view of who Jesus is and what he did, when you have a proper view of Jesus being fully God, when you have a proper view of who, of who Jesus is and then an understanding of exactly what he did, it leads us to humility. Because here we have a God who lowered himself to be humble to levels that you and I have never even dared to try. That Jesus puts everything in perspective. That our humility grows when we take a look at who Jesus was and what he did. So what if? What if this week, with Jesus as our focus, with Jesus on our mind, maybe you go back and you read Philippians 2 over and over and over and over again until it starts to sink in who he was and what he did. But what if this week, what would it look like for you and for me to start practicing that kind of humility where we value others more than ourselves? Like what if this week you started asking more questions and shared less opinions? Oh, what if on social media, instead of boosting yourself up and throwing up just another selfie, um, what if you use social media to celebrate other people and encourage other people this week? What if this week um, you started asking the question, how can I help, instead of asking the question, what's in it for me? What if? What if this week we started, or stopped rather, using people as a means to an end? We stopped using people we stopped seeing girls as objects. We stopped seeing a guy as security. We stopped using people for something and we started seeing worth in people, worth that our heavenly father saw in them. What if? There's a, I was kind of studying there's a, a few kind of closing thoughts that I kind of had as it relates to humility and valuing others. Um, and I don't really know how else to share them other than just to, to share them, right? And so the first one is this, and I just kind of need you to, and, and hopefully um, you're at a point now where maybe you'd be convinced of this, but I just need you to know, you wanna talk about your best life? Well, lasting fulfillment is found on the other side of giving, not getting. I'm telling you, and, you, and come on, you probably know this. You, you really do. You've experienced it one way or another. But lasting fulfillment, real fulfillment, like your best life is found on the other side of giving, not getting. And as we said just a couple of minutes ago, valuing others makes you more valuable to others. Putting the needs of others first makes you more valuable, makes you a better friend, makes you a better roommate, makes you a better boyfriend, makes you a better girlfriend, will make you a better future spouse one day. And then lastly, and this one, man, I wish I had more time to get into this one. I'm just going to drop it on you and just let it go. 
Giving your life away ensures your influence doesn't die when you do. So what if? What if we started giving our life away this week? We started seeking out opportunities to give our lives away in the name of Jesus. Because you're going to begin, begin to step into your best life and your most fulfilling life when you begin to find ways to begin giving your life away. And it's all rooted in the fact that Jesus gave his first. That Jesus gave his everything first. And you might be in the room tonight and maybe for you the idea of Jesus giving his life on the cross, like maybe that's a new idea for you. Maybe this idea that Jesus wants a relationship with you, that your heavenly father desires a relationship. Maybe that's like new for you tonight. And so if any of that is kind of like clicking, if any of that is kind of starting to make sense to you, if you have questions around any of that, here's what I would ask of you. Come talk to me after this is over. I'm gonna be right here. I'm gonna be right here on the front stage. Like if you wanna know more about what it means to have a relationship with Jesus, come talk to me. Come ask me. Come ask someone on our team because we'd love to talk more about what it means to have a relationship with Jesus, the one who gave everything. Heavenly Father, we love you, and we are thankful that, that when you look at our lives and you think about our lives, that you actually have a best for us, that you want what's best for us, and you've given us the pages of Scripture to help us walk in what is best. And I pray, Father, that um, you would give all of us the courage um, to value other people, even when it's scary, even when it's uncomfortable, even when it's awkward, that maybe we would leave here and be a shining light as we begin to shine the humility that Jesus so exemplified. Pray you would empower us to live as Jesus lived. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.